0: Welcome back to the Munich Himes show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks the Georgia Bulldogs were snubbed purely because they're dogs. That's Lenny. I'm Himes. I am so glad that uh, my football team, my college football team is so good. I didn't even have to participate in the CFP discourse. Unlike uh, the person who was joining me today, Mike Goley Jr. Been a minute. I think the team draft was the last time you were on the pod. Welcome back to the program.
1: Glad to be back, and Lenny should take great solace in that as someone who got to befriend Dubs the Husky mascot for the Washington Huskies, way bigger in person than you would expect, too. Every time I'm out in public because I have such bad posture on podcasts, people are like, you're way taller than expected. Dubs was the same way, elite length.
0: Hmm. If all four of the mascots got in a fight, although that commercial about the Wolverines, uh, the Heisman House commercial where they bring in a live Wolverine Made me a little bit afraid of Wolverines. So
1: Wolverines are wily. Bevo once tried to attack UGA that time Georgia and Texas played <laughs> in the bowl game and they brought them there together. But Alabama's mascot, lest we not forget, would be an actual elephant. I don't know if they get it's credit true. for live or not since they don't carry a live mascot, but feels like they'd be a tough one.
0: It's a good point. You don't actually think about the elephant that much. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, Huskies above reproach. If anything should have been won, but then when they, uh, when Bama made it in, I was like, ah, they, you know,
1: say. <laughs> you saw the Michigan reaction when yeah, they I got know. the announcement, they were playing Bama, right?
0: Literally the inverse of the reaction. When that came in, I was like, I was ready to like rip off some takes about our strength of schedule and our resume. And then I was like, <laughs> not, not, not that Texas isn't going to be difficult. All right. That's enough CFP talk. Maybe I'll, you know what, if the Huskies make you the championship, maybe I'll throw in a little bit of a, a, a little college football segment um for because you know just you know for the heads um well well, this week we have very good nfl games to talk about we were talking about this before the show actually it feels like it's a better slate than some recent weeks particularly in the afternoon i think that's the only bummer is they all most of them are kind of crammed in there and then of course the incredible Sunday night uh, Eagles-Cowboys matchup is truly spectacular. That's your reward for getting through Thursday night football, which is uh, Patriots-Steelers. I actually don't know which Patriots. Page- you know how they put up the two players to advertise the game? They had T.J. Watt for the Steelers. I can't remember who they had for the pa- Patriots.
1: They put up he- Bill Belichick. They were so beaten down, they actually put Bill Belichick up there next to T.J. Watt.
0: Who might not even be a Patriot next year. Um, I saw one with a player, but I couldn't ID it. I couldn't see his number. It looked like a defensive player. So
1: we'll see. Are you in, are you in the camp that feels bad for Al Michaels having to call these bad games at this no. point?
0: I love it. I love watching <laughs> him just grind through them. It makes me laugh so hard. I don't know. Maybe it's like it's like, um, you know, those YouTube videos people watch of people like overeating. What do they call them? Book bongs or whatever. I hope that's I not know, a weird sex thing. Anyways, <laughs> uh, that's how I feel watching. I, I delight in the torture of him. I delight in him trying to find ways to make it interesting for himself. Speaking of YouTube, if you are uh, listening to this, you'd like to watch it. The entire episode is on YouTube, as well as some original content uh, every week on Mina.Kimes. YouTube slash at MinaKimes. You can find me. It's easy. Um, okay, let's just jump right into the games. I sent you a list. Um, I think the first game I want to talk about is Rams Ravens. Mm. Ravens coming off of a bye. The Rams suddenly in the hunt at six and six. Um I, I think from the Rams side of it, the thing that scares you about this team, other than Aaron Donald, is the offense. I actually think this offense, uh, you know, it's it's been up and down over the course of the season. Matthew Stafford has obviously been in and out of the lineup. But when everyone is healthy, healthy, and they are healthy now, I I think they can score on anyone. And we certainly saw that against a a very good Browns defense. Granted, you know, through most of that game, it was pretty close. But you saw, one, Stafford makes, you know, three or four, like, insane throws every week. The one to Nakua over the middle of the field was uh, just filthy. Uh and um the obviously the Puka has been huge this season, Cooper Cup's back. The run game in particular has been much better this year, which I think in turn what the 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 offensive line is playing better, that helps the run game, but I also think um the fact that the run game is is dynamic and it's been a while for the Rams since that was the case helps with pass protection, helps the flow of the offense as a whole. I actually um Pulled this up because I was curious about how good the run. They're they're eighth in rushing DVOA, but when Matthew Stafford is quarterback, so when they're not, you know, getting facing stacked boxes, um, they're actually one of the best rushing attacks in football. They average .11 EPA per carry, which is. Tied with the Baltimore Ravens. Wow. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I guess watching this Rams offense, and then we'll think about how they match up with this Ravens defense. What strikes you now that everybody's back on the field?
1: Yeah, I I do think it. Kyron Williams and it's been so fun for me obviously selfishly he was a Notre Dame guy so we all saw up close and personal what he did in college behind at that point an offensive line that season that wasn't giving him a lot to work with he's made a lot happen and to your point this year the offensive line once it's not dealing with unprecedented levels of injury like last year has been able to get into a rhythm Kyron can do so much for you in terms of he's a viable enough pass catcher he's certainly a great pass protector and so you've got optionality on the field again for the Rams offense with him there fast enough to get to the perimeter. He's comfortable hitting up and inside like we've seen the Rams become somewhat of a duo team, which has been kind of awesome seeing them get some of that physical downhill rushing attack. And to your point, I think the thing I am most interested in with how they match up and what was most impressive about the win last week was they were able to keep Stafford clean. Like against this yes. Browns pass rush and Miles Garrett, especially, they did a lot of smart things in terms of the game plan of how they formationed it to help out with the way they used running backs to help yeah. offset some of that. And now, as you and I have talked about, you know, I think on and off air with sort of the different style between miles garrett and the browns defense versus what they're going to get from the ravens it's going to be fascinating for how do they try and account de- resources for a defense that's a lot harder to hit because it's such a moving thing it's sort of an amorphous blob where you never know where the threat's coming from
0: yeah i, I it's such a good point about how the rams are were able to mitigate the browns four-man rush granted miles Garrett's still a little banged up clearly but um scheme played a big role in that uh, it's Sean McVeigh, you know, and through the use of misdirection, some of the horizontal, the perimeter runs they used, mm-hmm. um, you know, the play action game, uh, Sean McVeigh is very, very good at out coaching. I don't want to say a static defense. Cause that's not true of Cleveland, but, um, a defense like with a pretty clear identity. Yep. I, I was trying to think of like, you know, w- Seeing the Rams' offense against a Ravens-like defense, um, you know, obviously you think about like what the Patriots did in that Super Bowl. There's some similarities there, but I, I, I'm not quite sure what approach they'll take. Given we haven't talked about the Ravens' defense in a minute. But given how unpredictable they are with their fronts and their pressures on the back end, you know, you're going to see a fair amount of quarters. Um, Everybody's healthy again, for the most part. So with all with uh, Marcus Williams back in the lineup, you have Kyle Hamilton, who was playing more free safety now as more of either the slot or I mean he's he's well, I don't need I feel like all right, let's take a beat and talk about Kyle Hamilton. Yes, about, like Kyron Williams. Let's talk about the other Notre Dame <laughs> superstar in this game. Um, so Kyle Hamilton has been good all year, but when Marcus Williams was out, he had to play more you know free safety, and he's okay at it. He can cover, but that's not how you optimize his skill set. You want him closer to the line of scrimmage, you want him being an agent of chaos. Now that Williams is back in the lineup, you are able to see him as the apex. He's actually the apex defender, but the apex predator that he is meant to be in this defense. He has totally unlocked the Chargers game. He was probably the best player on the field. I mean, he was—he completely took over that game at times, Um yeah, it's, it's really fun to watch because it is exactly, I think, what everybody envisioned for him when he was drafted.
1: 100%. And, and you're right in, in that the further away you take him and the more space you put him in, obviously, some of the limitations I still will war back against the people that tried to gaslight me with his 40 times as if he wasn't going to be an exceptional player, especially in that defense. We covered
0: Jalen Guyton. Jalen, he ran upfield with Jalen Guyton in the Chargers game. Okay, keep going.
1: Sorry. Yeah, we I mean, uh, uh, utterly ridiculous history will be kind to both of us for knowing enough ball to watch Kyle (laughs) Hamilton and clearly see. And especially you know, it's like any other great player. Like we talk about, you know, Mahomes ending up with Andy Reid or all these guys like Kyle Hamilton winding up in Mike McDonald's defense where they were going to use him in all these ways. Like we talked to um, kind of a random tangent. We talked to Brandon Jones, uh, one of the Miami Dolphins safeties about the scheme change for them. And he almost sounded like he had that faraway look in his eyes remembering being in a defense where they used to blitz so many of the guys from the secondaries and you used to get to run free around the line of scrimmage it's a bunch of fun stuff especially when you're a guy like Kyle Hamilton who's just this insane bit of like wingspan and physical prowess and so he ended up in the perfect defense to unlock all of those gifts and give him the best chance of reaching what we've seen is this uh, real zenith of his skill set meeting production this season
0: uh, and, and Matthew Stafford I mean granted this is a bit of a limited sample size but 28th in QBR versus the Blitz this year. There's a number of reasons for that, but it's not like um, the Super Bowl year where it was like you you just should not. He was like an unblitzable quarterback. I don't yeah. think that's the case right now. Some of that has to do too with just the um, the weaponry. I mean, you'll see Hamilton probably uncup uh, a decent amount in this game. So I'll be curious to see, you know, how often he's targeted versus Nakua. I mean, the, the, the whole complement of... Skill players, I think, has outperformed perhaps expectation, Definitely expectations for LA, but I also think Baltimore has the pieces, has, has the players in the back end to handle them. So, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting. Like I said, to see how McVeigh tries to neutralize some of the things that they do up front. I'll be curious to see um, how the run game looks against a superior run defense to uh Cleveland's in Baltimore just because they're so sound uh you know at, at all three levels but i i the rams offense is good enough that i don't think it's like you know it's not going to be like a, as good as the ravens defense is i'm not, i don't expect them to completely blank them i'll just say that
1: No, and I think some of that, as always, is like game script dependent if stuff gets too out of whack. But in general, the stuff they've done is the kind of stuff that can help you, you know, take Jadavian Clowney and what a revelation he's been with his fit in Baltimore this season and what he poses to you as a threat getting upfield. It's, all right, all of these pin and pull outside runs that you see, a great way to try and take the edge off that. Being able to hit it up in the box. You and I have talked about this as you and the NFL Live crew talk so much about the simulated pressures and everything that Baltimore wants Wants to do defensively, being willing in certain specific situations and having the ability to flex to an inside run game against that stuff, certainly helpful in that too. So they've got tools. None of this is gimmicky. It's all stuff that's a part of their DNA that can work well against some of the specific threats Baltimore poses.
0: Before we go to the other side of the ball, actually, can you take a minute and explain so so yeah we have talked a lot about on this pod as well like what they do with simulated pressures in terms of showing showing blitz and then having guys back out of it um and i asked you from an you know we talk about how that's what the function of confusing the quarterback but also the point of that is to confuse the offensive line basically to dictate to them Um, having them waste blockers. So as an offensive line or as an offense, like how do you approach that? Knowing you're facing a defense is going to do that a lot.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is understanding what you want to do game plan wise, like being willing and you and I've talked about this air to take risks at certain portions points of the field when field position wise, you know, all right, we're potentially in four down territory. So if we get into one of these third, we see people pop runs in third and medium to long in those spots all the time. I think that's especially valuable when you've got sub personnel on the field, smaller bodies, yeah. nickel guys up at the line of scrimmage as an offensive lineman, you start to see small guys up there especially in these packages and not knowing where they're going to come from, there's a certain amount of anxiety because there's an athletic mismatch there. And so if you can get in enough spots and you know game plan wise – we're willing to let you go forward sometime and use your size advantage and flip that math a little bit that's a huge weight off your shoulders with that the rest of it is honestly communication like the the stock line for us on offense is we have the advantage of knowing what we want to do and so if we all communicate that and we're on the same page where at least if we're wrong we're wrong in the same spot the quarterback knows where the pressure is potentially coming from even if you end up getting because of these sim pressures too free because you decide to full slide another way or you know bring the running back up in the line of scrimmage there is an extra premium placed on communication and understanding like all right we know where we're not going to get beat based on how Mm -hmm. we allocate resources to the best of our knowledge and that's where having a veteran like Stafford who's going to look and see the shells who's going to see hey where are they most likely actually going to tip where they're coming from in that to help set in protections that's a hugely invaluable asset while there's chaos around the line of scrimmage can you get them can Sean McVay with some of the stuff they do before the snap get you to tell on yourself because they're trying to get you anxious they're trying to get you to eye violate and have one guy slide further than he's supposed to or have one guy come back against the slide when he's supposed to keep pushing out and that's all you need is one dude to mess up when you've got that many different bullets flying from directions all across the line of scrimmage
0: and I think that's where I would again worry about Stafford in this game because as good as he has been this season it's just as a you know we've all been reminded that he's one of the best natural throwers. I don't want to say natural throwers as opposed to unnatural throwers. He's a he he was born with it. You know, um, best pure throwers maybe is what is where I'm going for that. Uh, he can get sped up in a way, mm-hmm. and I think that this is a defense that wants to speed you up. Uh, and yes, to your point, by making you think things are going to happen that aren't going to happen, and. Um, you like they're I think versus a quarterback who can really extend or who's going to hang in there a bit longer, they're more likely to get punished for it. Although, again, they're so good in coverage that even if they're playing quarterbacks to extend, they're still... Ex- I think I pulled this actually the other day. It wasn't about staff for this particular game, but I was uh, looking to see who the best defense was in the NFL when quarterbacks hold the ball for three seconds or more. It is the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they're just... They're very, very good. Um, so yeah, that's it's quite a challenge. You know, the of the ball, I mean the, the the Rams defense is I would say you could say that they're outperforming expectations just because they're so young and they're mm-hmm. far from the worst defense in the NFL. I would probably put them they're probably like in that like twenty to twenty five range. Um, statistically. Uh you know, Aaron Donald is Sarah and Donald, they're getting contribu- contributions from the young guys, Ryan Young, um Byron Young, pardon me, uh Kobe Turner, but there's obviously still places to attack here. I think for the Ravens um, coming off of their first game without Mark Andrews, I thought Lamar Jackson didn't have his great out, greatest outing before the bye against the Chargers. This is a good get-right opportunity mm-hmm. um, just to show, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they lean heavily on the run game, which is, of course, the best in the NFL. It's been a running back by committee approach um, I think this is one where you might start seeing the reps tilts more towards Keaton Mitchell, given how explosive he looks.
1: Yeah, I, I think we all the phrase always when you're like going through practice and going through camp is you're trying to earn more reps and everything we've seen from Keaton Mitchell is like, oh, yeah, we, we need to get that guy more volume to go along with this. Because you know, when you pair that kind of explosiveness in the backfield with Lamar Jackson and, you know, that's been as they've had to deal with, you know, the offensive line still kind of dealing with injury issues. Ronnie Stanley's been in and out of the lineup throughout the year with various things kind of dinging him up that, you know, makes continuity a little bit tough, you know, unfortunately, because that's happened the last few years. Their backups have gotten a fair amount of work, so they're guys that you trust with the line, with uh, with things on the line. But yeah, I mean, this the speed on that offense, especially when you mix Zay Flowers in on like the jet sweep run that he scored on in the last game. It, it's a lot for any defense to try and handle, especially one as young as the Rams.
0: There, again, even without Andrews, there's still a decent amount of weapons. You've seen OBJ and Bateman, Rashad Bateman individually have bigger games so if the defense does tilt their coverage towards flowers and um given his ability to stretch the field there are other answers for lamar i'll be curious to see if they really continue to lean into just being more they're they're an 11 team now with the three wide receivers but now without andrews that is very obviously their identity one thing i would like to see them do is is run the ball really effectively out of when you um, divide their run pass splits in different personnel groupings. When they're 11, they're still pretty overwhelmingly pass. I'd really like to see them show, put on tape that they're, you know, obviously you're spreading the defenses out that way, that they'll run the ball more out of those looks because I think it'll make the pass game that much better. I mean, that was the vision, right? When yep. you signed all these wide receivers, when you brought in Todd Munkin that you'd be this like devastating and they are very good at play action Um Lamar is the fifth best QBR in NFL throwing off a play action, but that, that 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 was the vision for this team. Come out, you got wide receivers in the field, you spread things out, and in doing so, you have the ability to run the ball. They still run the ball really well, but I think just sort of the integration of the run and the pass is still a work in progress
1: yep and I think out of that too the further you spread it there the more viable and we've seen Lamar Jackson as a runner still insanely deadly especially down in the red zone this season I haven't checked the numbers in a while but you know all of his red zone stats to start the season were near the top of the league and that's largely because when you have a quarterback with his kind of capabilities down there especially now if you're going three or four wide in that area it's so much extra space for that edge defender or the overhang defender who's got to account for that so combine that with all the speed they should be in good shape now that we we start to see that rep more. Even you know, 12 was just there was their best personnel group. It was what they were most comfortable in, and now they'll have plenty of reps to go forward with this.
0: All right. So I think sounds like we're both on the Ravens. Um obviously the Rams are still in playoff contention. It's because the other, like the Seahawks, who we're gonna talk about next, are playing the Niners. I don't think a loss will knock the Rams out of it. Um, but you know, it it uh this would obviously i mean winning this game you'd really feel confident about their ability to make the playoffs but i think the this to me also for the ravens feels like a the opportunity to kind of make a statement as the afc's preeminent threat headed into the next week or week 16 against san francisco Maybe that's my first take brain working, though, because that was one of the questions on first.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, you're not wrong, though. It's so weird how the tenor around the conferences has changed. And part of that is San Francisco we'll talk about has looks like they found the final infinity infinity stone. But it's also the AFC just been such a meat grinder. I mean, you've got, I think, four of the seven current playoff teams will likely start a backup this week, nine overall. It's just completely flipped the script in that conference.
0: Okay, CX Niners, let's just get through this. I'm so sorry. So I put out a, um, Dominique and I talked about the Niners as a winner and how they beat down Philadelphia. And we talked about the importance of the linebacker position when it comes to playing San Francisco. Like you need, it, which is why the Ravens are such an exciting matchup. I feel like I could do like 45 minutes on that game when it's time. Um, The Seahawks do not have an elite linebacking group as much as I love, you know, Mm -hmm. Wagner and what he's done for this franchise, incredible career, Hall of Fame career. They're they're not at that level. Um, I wrote that I've said you need to, to compete with the Niners. You need elite linebackers, an elite four man rush, neither of which Seattle has and a lead that's Seattle's only chance in this mm-hmm. thing. I think it's uh, is is offensively um because and this is where I'll try to be more positive. The offense looked awesome on Thanksgiving against Dallas. Geno Smith played out of his mind. The wide receivers who have been really up and down this season and in, and in, in, I think the game before um the the in the Rams game, a lot of mistakes or in the Niners game, rather, pardon me, which is relevant, yeah. of course. DK Metcalf getting blanked by Travarius Ward, making also just mistakes. It wasn't even just, like, good coverage. Coming to the Cowboys game, he has the game. I mean, he was unreal against Dallas. Um, JSN made the crazy catch. No fan made a crazy catch. Weirdly, Tyler Lockett was the least reliable, which never happens, ever.
1: I saw him drop a pass and it felt like when Justin Tucker missed that field goal from inside 50 yards, where my faith in the future of humanity was shaken at the foundation.
0: It was, and it was like, it was, he was wide open, but whatever. Anyways, sliding doors. The point is the offense has that in them. Like the ceiling of the Seahawks offense, I think is what we thought it was. Um, So Let's start there because I really think that's their only chance in this thing is if the offense puts up a bunch of points. So, as I mentioned, last time these teams played, uh Ward blanked Metcalf. Weirdly, they kept it was like a lot, they kept throwing at him, though. And they kept, it was like a yeah. lot of like balls down the sideline. They kept targeting them outside the numbers, even though their starting safety had just been hurt. I didn't understand the game plan at all. Um, I thought the Thanksgiving game. You saw, okay, this is more like the Seahawks offense of 2022, you know, a lot of multiple tight end sets, Yes, uh, a very nice hand with the run game. Do you think that they can like improve upon what we saw the, the on Thanksgiving when they got beat down with a different game plan?
1: I think so, just because it seemed like they kind of simplified things a little bit. Like when you hear Pete publicly talking about like, yeah, we need to get back to some of those multi-tight end sets and then immediately see it reflected with success. Like there were, I want to say five or six t- times during the game where they just did the same thing multiple times on the drive. They'd go too tight end into the boundary. They'd have the wide receiver split to the field. They'd motion to stack and then they'd run an in-breaking route to DK Metcalf or somebody. And they'd have success to your point, going back towards the middle of the field and giving Geno Smith the opportunity opportunity to thread some of the needles in like he did on that first DK Metcalf touchdown so I think when you combine that with as long as they're able to like you go back to that last San Fran game interception in the first half by Geno you had the fumbled punt return by Seattle that gave I think they held the Niners to a field goal after that but still giving them extra possessions and plus territory and a chance to build a lead like that that they had in the first half Yeah, I think if you do that, you've got a shot because on the other side, it becomes very worrisome how easy it looked for the 49ers to just run directly down the center of that Seattle defense that, you know, outside of Jaron Reed, who you want to talk about a guy who balled out on Thanksgiving, Jaron Reed was exceptional against a really good Cowboys interior defensive line. But besides that, I mean, Leonard Williams is flashed in spots, but they're just so light in the ass up the middle that the 49ers get him running and then no one is better I would say moving and, and laterally at the point of attack than I mean, the Christian McCaffrey at this point just routinely ghosting extra defenders in the box. So as long as you are, you know, it's the most cliche thing in the world, but if they avoid turnovers and then simplify the equation like they did last week, I think they could definitely make this a more competitive game.
0: It, I, but it, it really starts with the offense, right? Because yeah. when you talk about the Niners just, you know, running on them, this is also odd, by the way. So there were okay went back and looked at my notes from the Thanksgiving game, the beatdown. And there was obviously, to your point, turnovers, special teams, mishaps. But the way they approached that game was confusing in a couple of ways. One, offensively, um, you know, just going so heavy, 11 personnel, throwing it to the outside so much, throwing it at Ward, who's clearly their best defend, you know, defensive back so much. Game plan wise, didn't understand that, and then again, some of that was obviously like they they were moved into a pass heavy game script. But even so, um, I feel like they've leaned far too much on like low wish percentage throws, and then defensively they went really light against San Francisco, and the Niners obliged by throwing running it up the gut. Now, again, if you go heavy, they'll kill you through the air. So to some extent, it's like I don't, you know, I can't really. Quibble with that because it's not like they have, as I alluded to, the linebacker depth to keep those guys on the field a ton against San Francisco. But, you know, especially when they fell behind to them, they were kind of playing into their hands by saying, all right, you want to string together like long, horrible, blood curdling drives over and over and over. Um, I think they have to gamble a little bit. Uh, and And hope for some chaos, frankly, and hope that they can turn Brock Purdy over.
1: Yeah. well, I mean, the other part of it too, you mentioned having to go light is like Jamal Adams has had a really not great time against tight ends for the last couple of weeks, whether it was Ferguson with Dallas or obviously Kittle and the you know host of big skill bodies that San Francisco has. But when he's supposed to kind of be your middleman answer to that, it, it hasn't looked great in these last couple of matchups.
0: <laughs> oh man, I I just want to see some offense as a Seahawks fan. That's all I want. I don't I don't expect to win. I don't think this defense, which has been really bad over the last few weeks, especially in the fourth quarters. I don't think they have the personnel like as much as like we can complain about the co- they just don't have the personnel to hang. But I do think the offense can put together a much better performance than what we saw on Thanksgiving um so I you know I think like to your what you kind of said at the top just like what we saw last week in terms of the the way they used formation and personnel I I think you can do that also to like string together some easier completions for Gino than what we saw I think if they do that and then there'll be opportunities to take shots on early downs um that would be make this game a lot more competitive. So I, you know, it's just, it's a bummer. I, you know, watching the Cowboys game too, because when, when we think about like the six and six teams or like the, in the hunt NFC teams, there's a clear drop off. I, I talked to sure. uh, Dominic. I talked about this. The AFC is like, a, you know, it feels wide open. The NFC feels like very top heavy right now. And I'm not going to pretend like Seattle is anywhere near that top tier. Of teams one of whom they're obviously playing but when you see how good that offense can be um it, you know it, it's a little bit like they should they should not have dropped those two games to the Rams. you know it's just like the yep. the the, def- the offense should never i mean granted drew lock played some of that second game but sure they should never have put together the bad string of performances we saw through the losing streak offensively
1: No, no. But, you know, you can take some solace. Like, I think I saw um, Kenneth Walker back practicing this week for Seattle, which would certainly be super helpful there. Abe Lucas being back in the lineup was big time for them. I thought he looked good after getting reactivated. So there's some like personnel things that are certainly positive, but maybe, you know, uh, again, you can get closer to what you should be, even if right now, like the NFC just kind of feels like a foregone conclusion.
0: It'll be interesting to see after the season, regardless of what happens with Seattle. Like from a coaching perspective, it just feels like they've gotten out coached by Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay now for years. <laughs> and I, when I was thinking about this game, I was like trying to, you know, I was trying to like gin up some enthusiasm, and I think I can for the offense. But defensively, like I've just seen this movie so many times like they and 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 with the Niners, obviously it's, it's about talent as much as it is about scheme, but it just feels like um, they're never able to stop the play action passing attack. There's always guys wide open over the middle of the field. They're always able to exploit the rules of the Seattle defense, even as the Seattle defense has evolved a bit over the year. It hasn't been the same scheme throughout the Pete Carroll era by any means, but like it feels like they need like a fresh voice in there to change things up to compete with these play callers
1: it, it it and you mentioned the play calling obviously is a huge factor in all of that but especially defensively for the seahawks and especially defensively in this division like when you talk about the rams yeah. and the 49ers the seahawks and this has been i know the cry for years and part of the you know frustration about you know the draft or even the trade deadline is like when's the last time there was an explosive pass rusher someone that you had to account for on any given snap whereas Aaron Donald's been terrorizing the NFL for a decade now the 49ers added even more to a group that already had so many one-on-one wins and one of the best pure edge rushers there and how much simpler that makes the equation almost everywhere else for these guys coaching aside
0: yeah I mean the fact that Frank Clark is getting snaps is bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and they grafted
0: guys, and Mafe's good. I, sure, but you know so they have a, a, a great like a, and they lost Mosu, and you have to acknowledge that as well. You know, so it's not like things that, and there's been injuries on defense, but yeah, it's it's a bummer. All right, just just give me some offense. Just I just if we could see Gino play like you did last week, I'm fine. I didn't even feel bad after, I mean, I did feel bad after the Cowboys game, but like, you know, I just, the offense is capable of playing at that level every week. So I just want to see, I just want to see. And, and, you know, I know, and that helped by the Cowboys defense is the top five defense. So it's not like we, it's not even like they beat up on a bad team. You know, I just,
1: yeah. I see. I'm seeing you processing grief in real time. This feels like you've reached like the dissociation phase where you're not even giving the team the opportunity to hurt you.
0: I went into that game not expecting to win. And then by halftime, I I was trying to, like, suppress the feeling of hope. Like, kind of creeping into, like, I could feel little cracks opening in my heart and the hope kind of seeping in. And I was trying to, like plug it. Like one uh, of those old timey cartoons where they're trying to plug all the holes on the boat and yep. it just kept seeping in. And then by the end, my, my boat was full and I knew that I was going to be, and then I was like, I know they're going to lose. And I did that, but it didn't feel any better.
1: I will say it feels like you've come a long way since when I first met you in terms of, like, public outbursts when things have gone wrong for your football team. Like, I'm still an overgrown toddler. I was in the same boat you were for the Notre Dame-Ohio State game, and then by the time I let all the water into the boat at the end, it ended with me crow-hopping and throwing my hat and falling down in the middle of a bar, stone sober in front of a crowd of people. So, at the very least, you haven't done that to yourself over the course of the Seahawks season.
0: (sighs) We'll see what happens. <laughs> all right, let's let's come back and talk about two I I think the two marquee games of the weekend. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesar's Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesar's Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL. And then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call one 800 522 4700 Indiana, call one 800 9 with it. Iowa, call one 800 bets Off. Louisiana, call one 877 770 stop Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call one 800 327 5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call one 800 270 7117 Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 gambler it's 1-800-426-2537 or in West Virginia visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills To get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Mina Show. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This
0: podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right. The six and six Buffalo Bills take on the reeling Kansas City Chiefs. Michael Jr., who needs it more, was a question I was asked. I won't name the show.
1: Oh, my God. I wrote
0: back. I'm going to go with the six and six team as needing it more.
1: OK, thank God. I wasn't sure how sports brained we were going to get in all of this, but I'm glad cooler heads prevailed here. That's how you get named the number one studio show analyst in the country, folks. Mina Kimes, award winning takes, baby.
0: Um, Here's what I will say. This is a very I found this game. Bill's Chiefs to be hard to predict because the bills are not your normal six and six team. Uh, large part because they have a quarterback who is playing out of his gourd right now. Um, I mentioned this, you know, I wasn't on TV after Bill's Eagles. uh, Mm. And so my delayed take after I saw the takes in response to the game is I cannot believe anyone would criticize Josh Allen after that game. He went nuclear. Nuclear. That was one of the best quarterbacking performances, certainly of the year, maybe of several years, certainly of his career. He put that team on his enormous talk truck sized back. Um, And I think he has a pretty good shot of also playing very well against a Chiefs defense that uh, started out this year as, as, as one of the better defenses in the NFL and I think is still talented. But as we saw against Green Bay has some vulnerabilities now.
1: Certainly, and a lot of the same things that, in theory could hurt you from Green Bay, especially from a quarterback standpoint of, all right, with Jordan Love, the thing that we've loved, uh, the thing that we have loved is, God, I did not intend for that, um, is a lot of the extracurricular stuff that he can do, right? The way that he can buy time, the you know, creative arm angles, you know, his fearlessness with fitting throws into certain windows down the field, even to those young receivers. That is all Josh Allen, but he's like the giga Chad version of that, where he has even less fear built into the model, uh, sometimes to his own detriment. So, uh, yeah, no, that is de- <laughs> Definitely uh, the alarms going off in my head right now. I'm sorry for saying giga chat on your podcast.
0: <laughs> oh, I wonder what percentage of listeners will understand the reference. <laughs> How many of you are terminally online? Um, it is what it sounds like. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. I think it's the extension. It's the using his legs. It's the play action. That that would be what worries me the most as a Chiefs fan. Um, I talked about that a little bit going into the game that play action was something the chiefs defense had struggled with uh you know th- throughout the year but who i did not foresee that they would kill them th- the green bay packers would kill them with the play action that badly now granted i didn't foresee that they would lose their starting linebacker drew tranquil sure. kind of important against the play action passing attack so we'll see uh who plays in this one they also lost one of their starting safeties uh but that, regardless of who's playing, they're against play action. They are a bottom ten team, twenty six in success rate. And the Bills, you know, why they don't use play action at a super high level this year? It's their seventeenth in, in play action rate. When they do use it, they're the second best in the NFL in EPA per play. So, uh, as far as like things that Joe Brady should do as he's kind of tinkers with the offense, that is something I would do against this defense. Um, the other thing that struck me about the defense in, in the Packers game that again, I think is meaningful here is um they're not really affecting quarterbacks the way they were at the beginning of the year. It was interesting because I actually thought they they played it a, Steve Agnolo uh, played it a little bit more uh, normal than I expected at the beginning of the game. He didn't really get crazy until later in the game with the Sims and the blitzes and all the stuff that they do. But regardless of what they did up front, um, love had all day for a lot of the game. And I think that, is, that would be something that worries me going forward. Since week eight, the Chiefs pass rush is 28th in pass rush win, 31st in run stop win, which I don't usually reference that much. But it both adds up to the defensive line as a whole, Mike, not really dominating the way they look to be in the beginning of the season.
1: No, definitely not. So you combine that with a quarterback that I think is getting more comfortable, like as the offense for the Bills in general has, I think, run more. Like if you're looking for some concrete differences since Joe Brady took over. And really, as they were starting to hit that skid, like they were willing to, when Josh was having some of the turnover trouble, put the ball in the belly of their running backs a little bit more. Their last two games, the Bills have had 21 and 24 rushing attempts on first downs against the Eagles and Jets, respectively. So in certain situations, doing that, which then also like, between the zone read between scramble stuff like as encouraged josh i think to run a little bit more the last game obviously being the you know final boss version of that where again i'll always go back to say my read on josh allen was a lot like my read on prime cam newton which is you have to let him get involved in the run game early because for whatever reason that's his love language that's how he gets jump started in the game and you start to see josh allen go out there and play with that attitude like remember when he was saying all that stuff about like the quiet confidence he was making up all these like therapy sounding words to try and talk about his demeanor. Like you don't need that version of Josh. You need the version of Josh that wants to go out there, rip people's heads off and attack the defense each and every play. Because as we talked about through the spell of interceptions, that's built into the model with this bills team. The one thing you can say is the defense is atrophied to a point because of injury and age where now they are no longer as able to overcome those turnovers. And so that absolutely factors into some of the stuff we talked about as far as concerns. Conservative play calling in certain situations, but overall, and uh, we've heard Dan Orlovsky, our good bud, say this all the time: you never wanted to take away his stinger because the exact thing that's put him in those risky situations is also the exact reason you got Giga Chad, Josh Allen.
0: <laughs> um, Josh Allen keepers through his career at various times have been like the breaking breaking cases of emergency glass. You see that you would see that with Dorsey and and even with Dable too from a play calling perspective that, you know later in the game when you you had a gotta have it yep. series is when he would keep the football. Um against the Eagles, why you know, he ran while watching him take off, scramble, break the pocket, get some key first downs, it occurred to me like the entire season now is break in case of emergency for Buffalo. So I fully expect to see him go, regardless of you know what the play is, by the way, I'm not saying that even that um, you know, Joe Brady is gonna ask him to do it, he is going to run more. And from the Chiefs' perspective, you know that makes life more complicated in terms of what they can do in terms of coverages, pressures, knowing not only that he has the ability to kill them with their legs, but probably an increased willingness from what we saw earlier in the year.
1: So pretty clear identity for them trending in the positive direction. We talked about the chiefs on the downside, the other side's the part that's really hard for me to kind of get a handle on. Cause every time we think that the chiefs offense has been ready to turn a corner, the Rasheed rice game against the Raiders team that we still kind of have trouble placing in the post, you know, Josh McDaniels firing version of all right, just how good are they? Just how much of this is the breath of fresh air and a couple of the right matchups. But The Chiefs offense kind of looked like it was back to not being necessarily sure who its other go-to option besides Kelsey was certainly the biggest difference this year has been like a complete lack of connection between quarterback and receiver on deep passes down the field like none of them just appear to know where Mahomes wants them to run on any given one of those plays and so that's the complicating factor is I never feel like I know week to week Mm -hmm. what version of the Chiefs offense I'm going to get now outside of Pat and Kelsey
0: so I have, I guess you, people call it beige flags. I have a beige, like, sort of, I don't even know how to define it. Kind of like in a faintly objectionable tendency or quality. Um, I think my biggest beige flag, I was thinking about this, uh, somebody asked me, is that I, if I find something I like at a restaurant, I just order it over and over. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be like two dishes, but... My feeling often is, I know this works, and when I go outside of my lane and I try, oh, this is like a new salad or curry or whatever, okay, maybe I'll try that. I'm talking about takeout, by the way, not like, you know, just when I order takeout. It can go wrong. That's how I feel watching Patrick Mahomes right now. Mm. Every time he deviates from one of his three dishes, Kelsey Pacheco, now Rasheed Rice, I think he he has joined that group, Something goes horribly wrong. This was so clearly the case in the in the pack in the Packers game. It was like every time he went away from one of those three guys, and you could blame, I mean, the interception Sky Moore, I mean it was a great play by Keyshawn Nixon. Sure. Patrick, maybe he didn't throw the right ball, but I Sky, I don't know what the heck Sky Moore was doing there either. I it just or whether it's a downfield throw to MVS, where he just seems to never run the exact right, right route. Like it just feels like he cannot count on anyone but those three players. That is it. You have to build the entire plane out of it.
1: And he's doing the right thing both as a leader in general and the way that he talks, but also the way he approaches that, which is he's continuing to try and put them in positions to change that. Because I'm sure he knows in his heart of hearts, and listen, we can go back to the Super Bowl last year where you saw guys like Kadarius Tony, guys like Sky Moore, situationally when Andy Reid and the play callers were able to whittle this down to what's the thing that you do best and how do we just siphon that off? It, Patrick seems to know with this team, like, all right, we're going to need some of them eventually, so I can't completely put them in the doghouse at this point in the name of winning now. And to your point all the way back at the beginning about who needs this more luckily for the chiefs you've got the higher order need of all right well we're flirting with not having home field advantage in the playoff for the first time in pat's career but missing the playoff isn't something that you have to realistically entertain so you can kind of afford to keep experimenting with this stuff in a way that's a little bit lower risk for now
0: a little bit a little bit but i throughout the first 10, 11 weeks of the season, I kept giving the chiefs grace of like, Oh, you know, they're going to figure out who's the guy, who's the guy, you know, who the guys are now, you know, and I, and I, and I know that I can't say, uh, you know, you never like if, if defenses know this as well, they're, they're not stupid. They're aware that Richie Rice is now going to be the most targeted receiver. Obviously you see the attention played to Travis Kelsey on every play. Yep. Pacheco is who he is. And he's looked fantastic as of late. Um, so the one on ones, you know, Skymore was he had him one on one. That's you you make these throws because MBS is your deep threat. They're the players who are given opportunities, and they want to. You know, they're from a matchup perspective. Um, they're they're are the players who are open. <laughs> I, that sounds so dumb, but like uh, defenses want. Patrick Mahomes to throw to people other than Travis Kelsey and to a slightly lesser degree, Rishi Rice. That is what they want. It's, you know, I think, um, and Mahomes is like a very smart quarterback and he takes what defenses are given to them. I think where you get into the problem is, well, when defenses are giving you the thing that completely continues to like explode in your face over and over, how often is that the thing you're going to take? Versus forcing it. And by the way, you see that tension play out when you watch Patrick Mahomes. Uh, uh, he's holding on to the football a long time this season um, for this exact reason, which is he has, you know, he's fully aware as the rest of us are, where his bread is buttered on offense right now. And so are defenses. And that's the problem with the Kansas City Chiefs 2023 in a nutshell.
1: What you just described there and Now that we've incepted some like very like cliche sports talking points in my head, it's the LeBron James problem, right? Where he's going to make the right pass in every situation, regardless of who's on the receiving end and spots where you're like, Hey, I need you to just force it and take it to the rack. The thing that make this, the complicating factor Mm -hmm. for the chiefs is we know they're a monster. That's always built for the postseason. They've got so much benefit of the doubt built up there that I do wonder, like there is part of me that very much wants to pick Buffalo in this game. It feels like they're meeting at the exact right right time where buffalo can get the kind of win as they are in break class in case of emergency mode all throughout the season does this rattle us enough to where we would actually take a step back from well as long as the chiefs are in the postseason we count on andy Reid to figure it out then we count on patrick mahomes to start forcing it and doing some of the superman stuff then because we've seen it so many times before i'm not sure what it takes that's what i guess what i'm asking is what it takes for us to stop giving them that built-up benefit of the doubt
0: yeah because even if he does force it to Kelsey to Rice himself picking up plays with his legs, um you know that doesn't guarantee success. And he what well, the, the thing about like past Super Bowl teams, I think about last year when they you know the receiving court wasn't that much better last year either, but you still had guys make a few key catches, including MBS, by the way, in big moments. So I guess the question I have for the Kansas City Chiefs is even if you you build this offense largely out of Kelsey and rice, Kelsey and rice, it sounds like a, like a dish sounds delicious, like a frozen dish, Kelsey and rice. Um sounds like something Dan Orlovsky would sprinkle some cheese on and eat for dinner. If wow, you do that.
1: You can give him cheese. I'm surprised by that.
0: You know, he, he has to put cheese on things like a child to make him more edible. Uh the three times a game when you target MVS, Skymore, Tony, will they make a play? Will they catch the football? The problem with this build is, too, when you go against teams where there are clear weaknesses, like the Bills' defense, do you have... The personnel to take advantage of those weaknesses i mean obviously the san francisco 49ers are about as far as you can get from the chiefs in terms of the talent of skilled players it is you know pretty dramatic but watching the eagles you 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 saw kyle shannon you could almost envision him pulling out the eagles depth chart and just breaking out like an evil red pen and circling I'm not going to name the guys, but we all know where they are circling like four guys, right? So if you were to do the same thing with the Bills, there are players who you would go after very due to injuries in particular, right? Um, for example, the Bills are 32nd in DVOA against number two wide receivers this year because the injury is a corner. So normally you'd be able to look at that and you'd say, all right, circle, circle, circle. We're going to throw to our number two wide receiver. But you can't do that if you're Kansas City. So from a play calling perspective, even though you have the best quarterback in the universe, you are still hampered because you can't look at a defense and say, that's the matchup, that's the matchup, that's the matchup I want.
1: The one silver lining to maybe this week is to your point about where the Bills defense has been most affected between, you know, injuries in the interior of the defensive line although they're still got you know guys you're more comfortable counting on there uh the linebacker core there the safety group at times dealing with being a little bit banged up this year is at the very least the guys we've talked about inside that three one of them's a tight end one of them's a running back in the interior of this offensive line is one of your overwhelming strengths and so you can try and at least lean into that because, in this particular case, I'm with you. You don't have enough options to be able to attack everybody like that, but you might be able to get away with it this week just because there's some overlap outside of what you just described.
0: That's a really good point. And it could be a formula for a Travis Kelsey game. You know, I mean, he, he still had those, they happen. Um,
1: but Only when Taylor Swift's in the crowd, uh,
0: sometimes not, though. Last week, yeah. All right. Well, I – oh, my God. Am I going to pick the Bills? That doesn't make any sense. I might, though. I don't know. That feels too far. I'm going to take the Chiefs just because the Bills – I don't believe in the Bills' defense at all.
1: I'm probably going to default to taking the Chiefs because, again, I – Something there is just built into my brain and Buffalo, it does seem like at this point you talked about knowing with the chiefs at this point with Buffalo, we know they're just good enough to still get beat, right? Like some of the games we're even talking about here. The Eagles won at the end. They still find a way to like there is a little bit of something to that being woven into your fabric at this point of the season. So all
0: right. Eagles, Cowboys. Mm. (sighs) Let's start. Who needs it more? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's start. Actually, uh, I had trouble with who needs it more for this one because you know, they 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 both have such great records. Um, let's start with the Eagles offense. Uh, I sent you a clip. We, we, NFL live, we talked about sort of the yep. Eagles offense, And it feels so weird to say Eagles offense regression because they're still like top five, 10 in most categories. Um, But it doesn't feel as easy. That's what I said on NFL Live. One reason I offered up for that is that for a litany of reasons, they are not facing nearly as much single high coverage, which they used to feast on. They still feast on when they get it, but now they're facing it at the second lowest rate in the NFL, which that shocked me. Like it was something I was kind of tracking over the course of the season and I saw the numbers trickling down um as defenses played them with uh split safety looks more and more but when i pulled up the numbers after the niners game who were of course a split safety defense and i saw they were like it was them in miami like of course miami doesn't sure. face you know single high, although washington commanders apparently haven't learned that lesson don't know what was going on there ron rivera but uh tyree hill got the one one you missed it um I was shocked. So the, th- the hypotheses I threw out for this defense is retired, getting cooked by AJ Brown. I think that, you know, some of it is they have two very, extremely good wide receivers. Um, I think not having Dallas Goddard, who is uh, an answer versus uh, middle of field open definitely has impacted that. And then the third thing is I, you know, Jalen hurts just hasn't been a threat on the ground. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that and then how you feel, um, I guess going into facing an Eagles defense that or probably a Cowboys defense that does play a fair amount of single high, a lot of man coverage, what they might expect and whether or not they can look better.
1: Yeah. So I I was interested in trying to see like if there was a market difference in the way that they approached running in like the NFC championship game from last year and going back and watching it looked largely the same out of a couple of instances where this year's game and the one that we just saw in the beat down it felt like so much of the eagles run game had turned into lateral runs it had turned into the kelsey pull stuff that we had seen yeah. a lot more east and rust stuff where if you just think about it like if you're running too high safety stuff you're expecting your second level guys to be able to come down there and fill and what gives them more time to do that is when all of a sudden the running back starting with the shoulders. Pointed east and west versus the Eagles' successful runs, especially down in the red zone against this Niners team. It was handing it off on inside zones. It was saying, if you're going to give us four man fronts and keep guys back, we're going to make this the shortest possible path. We're not going to give your second and third level defenders a ton of time to fill. And we're going to count on our offensive line to be able to walk guys off the ball, which they did in that game. And they weren't able to do as much in this game. Pulling offensive linemen against a front like the 49ers can be an advantage in certain spots. You use the defense's momentum against them when you've got that many guys trying to knife up field. Mm. But also at some point, if you start to just create those little wrinkles like that, you're giving great athletes a chance to get upfield and influence the plays when you don't want that on some of those stretch runs. So I was surprised the Eagles in those instances haven't been a little more hammer, especially against this team in particular. Mm -hmm. We've seen them plenty all year. I mean, we spent so much of the first portion of the season talking about how it's first and nine for them every time and about how it allows them to call plays differently on third and long when they know they're as predisposed to going for it on any fourth and short situation that comes up. So I don't want to act like it's too far of a cry, but when we're grading against this behemoth that is the 49ers, that was the thing that stuck out to me is how some of their runs looked versus the ones they had success on last year, different coordinator, different everything, but a lot of the other stuff looked similar too. So it wasn't that far of a cry play calling wise.
0: Well, it, I, I really, I mean, they had to go away from the run against San Francisco and have to, but they went away from the run against San Francisco 49ers once they fell behind, but sure. Uh, and then they were very unsuccessful running the ball on early downs in the first half. Throughout the game, they didn't have a single successful run in the game, which is crazy. But I—that was the matchup that everyone thought they would be able to exploit: runs between the tackles against this D, a, a, a Niners D defense that had not been good at stopping it. Yep. Um, so you can point to the play calling and the run-pass balance there, but again, it, this is not a single game phenomena. Um, I when we talked about this on NFL Live, Dan talked a little bit about his feeling the offensive line wasn't getting the same push that it has. I think there's probably some veracity to that, but and this cuts to your point about the types of runs. When Hertz was a dominant rushing threat So the Eagles mostly run out of the gun and because Hertz was such a threat to keep, it caused that hesitation on the part of certainly the second level defenders. If they don't fear him the way that they did last year and they shouldn't based on the underlying numbers, he is 22nd in EPA per play carrying the football and 16th in success rate down from fifth in both categories last year it makes it a lot easier to stop those East West runs that you're talking about out of the gun. So out of the gun. So I do wonder if they have to like accept the reality of who he is as a runner this year, for whatever reason, I know his knees a little banged up. And, and again, to your point, if they need to like kind of reconsider the design of the run game as opposed to just like run the ball more. It's like, no, no, the way that they run the ball might have to change because the quarterback isn't quite the factor that he used to be.
1: You're right. And and you bringing up Dallas Goddard is the force multiplier to that, right? Because the Eagles easiest formula for success had been RPO with the tight end to the flat where you've got Jalen and Dallas Goddard occupying the backside of these defenses here. Having Dallas out there also allowed them to use a lot more 12 personnel, which you look in the matchups where they were successful. That was a personnel group versus the 49ers last year in the NFC championship game that was useful for them. And now with just Jack Stoll out there. Changes the math a lot for them in certain situations, but does take away by far, you're right, their best play when Jalen is on top of it. And when he looks explosive and comfortable and you can just see it, he's not comfortable. I'd imagine they're intentionally trying to limit his exposure in those spots. He's less apt to keep it because he knows he just doesn't have the burst or the ability to put a shoulder down and get up based on how he's feeling in those spots. So that's the tough part is his knee's not going to get any healthier in the immediate future here. And until Dallas Goddard's back on the field, that's a personnel hole that you're just not capable of filling in the ways that you've been used to. And so you're right. It's going to be, how do you offset that versus this 49ers team, whether it's, you know, a a mix of screen game in there, they've gone trap run before, which is certainly a way that you can try and affect these guys, but it's going to have to be getting creative because your best punch is kind of in the holster right now.
0: Um. We are coming off of a game where these Cowboys defense, which ranks near the top of the NFL in most categories, got cooked mm. by the aforementioned Seattle powerhouse on offense. Uh, as a Dallas fan, are you a little bit? I mean, so last time these teams played, I'll get to the other side of the ball. Um, you know, Hertz had a really good game, especially later in the game against this Dallas team. And now you're coming off of this game where you, you saw there's some, definitely some weaknesses on this roster um, as much as Duran Bland has been amazing with the pick sixes. And I think actually pretty good in coverage through a lot of the year he got cooked. Mm. Uh, you have to think the Eagles watched what DK Metcalf did to him, particularly uh, deep and inside And think, hmm, do we have a gigantic wide receiver who wins those two particular ways on our roster?
1: Do we have a gigantic Ole Miss wide receiver that was on the same team as DK Metcalf that Hmm. can do all of this?
0: Hmm, Uh, I'd be a little bit worried about that
1: oh yeah matchup wise it it has the potential to be a bad time you are and like the one thing I do want to give the Eagles credit for is while they weren't able to get open nearly as much down the field Jalen had the time like one week after being removed with a groin injury Lane Johnson was incredible against Nick Bosa and now they like to move Micah Parsons around a lot more in the last matchup they had Steen their backup guard in there for Juergens and they put Micah on him a lot and tried to get and exploit that matchup whenever they could passing downs and so now that they're back in full strength that part certainly helps you when you're getting Dallas's best punch there and so this does have get right potential for this Philadelphia team that like also defensively too they were coming off a stretch where I think in that last two games they played yeah. more snaps in a two-game stretch than any team in NFL history so they did look by the end of that game against the 49ers team that had their head spinning like they were drowning even on the interior D line like we'll get to you know the linebacker and nickel level where it could still be a really bad time right now, and that's probably why they could lose this game, but up front, they looked less than themselves.
0: I don't think the Eagles' defense is as bad as they looked against the San Francisco 49ers. I think it was a horrible matchup for them, Um, and obviously, they're banged up there, and I already talked about Kyle Shanahan and his marker of death. The microscope is the Stephen Ruiz uh, framework for when Kyle Shanahan trains his microscope on someone. I thought of it more as like, you know, like um, that horrible thing that I believe sororities do, where they circle their body parts or something There's some kind of I don't know. I learned about it on the internet. Obviously, I wasn't in a sorority. <laughs> I think I've, been, I've never been inside a sorority. <laughs> I was
1: going to start uh, to have some questions.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I, there's like a thing they do where they like take a picture and like circle bad things. Or I don't know. Whatever. It sounds toxic. Don't do it if you're listening. Don't don't ever do that.
1: We're a body but, positive podcast.
0: Yeah, but we are not roster positive. We're okay to circle weaknesses on rosters. Um, So, yeah, that was it. It was bad, bad, bad. Problem is, uh, the Cowboys have the personnel and certainly the quarterback to do the exact same thing. It's different. Obviously, it's a very different kind of offense, but um, you mentioned the slot. The last time these teams played, uh, CeeDee Lamb. Uh, went after 192 yards, 133 yard of those 192 yards from were from the slot. You know they moved him around this season with a lot of great success. Uh, in this game and against this particular team, you can see why they took that approach. The Eagles threw a bunch of different. They tried everything uh, to stop him. Uh, you know, a little slay, a little bit. I mean, they they really tried doubling all, everything they could, and it was just. He was just unstoppable. He was unstoppable against Seattle as well. I was just – I i don't feel like there are good answers on this roster against this particular player, especially, again, given how well the quarterback's playing. I'll get to that. Um, and the problem is, even if you pay a, extra attention to him, the Cowboys have done a better job of getting Brandon Cooks involved. Jake Ferguson's a really proven himself to be quite a capable tight end. Getting a little bit more Kavante Turpin, a little bit less Michael Gallup, so I just feel like uh, it's it's just a very very challenging proposition for their defensive coordinator Sean DeSai
1: it is the one thing you can take solace in and listen like if you're on linebacker number three like if Ben Van Sumeren continues to get a ton of meaningful snaps for you it's just a difficult spot to be in when you're that deep in the depth chart for any team in any position but at least with this one like the offense is much more stagnant than what you dealt with with San Francisco that was so east like you saw these guys so far out of position because of all the motion because of so much of the play action pass is hard run cells east and west like at the very least for Dallas it's static and the one thing you could say for Philadelphia that could help offset that, especially in a lot of the drop back pass stuff that Dallas likes to do is you know, you look, Hassan Redick was a great matchup problem last time against Terrence Steele in this game. I thought, re- like, yeah. really shined in that matchup, was able to get a lot of pressure on Dak early from that spot. So there are opportunities to affect it because the Cowboys' offense is so different stylistically from San Francisco's in a way that I think helps you when you've got young guys in the spots in the middle of the field. But they're just they're so versatile like you said even since that last time around they've expanded so much of the playbook so many of the weapons involved now that I I really struggle to see how this Eagles defense is going to stay afloat the whole game
0: and they have a quarterback who at the moment looks like the best quarterback in football I don't think that should be a controversial take um I guess when you get into the MVP of it all is when you people start yelling although he's the best quarterback in football so he probably should be the MVP favorite. I again, like I feel like that. It, I, I, I. You know, you can find MVP a bunch of different ways. You can consider different kinds of players, all of that. You know, nonsense. Um, but if you just ask me who's the best quarterback in football right now, it's Dak Prescott. I, I, I the way he's playing, uh, the command of the offense, the playmaking with his legs. Yeah, uh, you know, I sent out a bunch of splits for all the ways in which he leads the NFL. But I think the one that uh, jumps out to me the most, and maybe the one that's the best case for him being the MVP of the, of the league is that he is the best quarterback in football on third down. And then I was curious how it compares over his career. Cause he has a 91.2 QBR on third down. If you don't like QBR, it's every other metrics. Number one, two, that's 20 points higher than his entire, that at any point in his career mm. and he's had some very good seasons like you go to the sure. 2021 season you see that he ranks really highly in the number of metrics throw those out the window when he when the offense is on the quarterback's shoulders and he has to drop back and pass Dak prescott is playing at a higher level than he ever has over the course of his career and he's playing at a higher level than anyone else in the nfl right now
1: and it is amazing to me for all of those reasons like usually I think Dak's been one of those quarterbacks where it's more fun to hear like x's and o's people people like you that are tape grinders watching and hear how they've discussed Dak Prescott over the years narrative wise I didn't think we'd need to talk anyone into the Dallas Cowboys quarterback who's winning a bunch of games and is the best on third down which is like the easiest big blinking sign of the things that we love about quarterbacks and clutch moments I thought all that would just have him very easily at number one in the like narrative MVP race of all of this but maybe that San Francisco loss just sticks in everyone's cross still and until they get through the stretch coming up. Like he's got the, if you're a person who buys into the narrative element of MVP, they've got two big primetime games in the stretch down the home stretch of the season against great teams where he'll have the opportunity to absolutely drive the nail in that coffin. If he so chooses.
0: Yeah. He had two bad games, but all the leaders at quarterback have had two bad games. Now I think probably CMC and Tyreek kill belong in the discussion, but we don't have to do that here. Yep. Um, Yeah. That'll be, I think that'll be potentially a big storyline coming out of this game. I'm picking Dallas. Ah,
1: I think I am too. Like it, it's, it just seems like we were kind of waiting around like for someone to break through the wall with the Eagles. They hadn't looked themselves. Yeah. And San Francisco doing it as forcefully as they did. And you talk about like who needs this more. Like I, I...
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: God, I hate I hate that I'm even entertaining this, but like this would go a long way in making the NFC race feel a lot more interesting. If Dallas goes ahead and pulls this off to feel like, all right, maybe it was a bad game script against the 49ers. And all of a sudden in this version, they'd be capable of challenging them.
0: So the answer to who needs it more is the sports media needs this more. needs Dallas to win this more.
1: So desperately.
0: Not Stephen A. Smith. Although, is he better when the Cowboys are good or bad? I don't know. It's a matter of debate. I'm going to start asking who needs this more in every situation in my life. Like when we're like, you know, when we're watching Netflix and I'm like, I want to watch Bridgerton or whatever, girly stereotype. And my husband's like, I want to watch this dumb documentary. I'm going to turn to him and say, who needs this more? (laughs) Who's feeding our child all day?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, your your son's got a full diaper and Lenny's pawing at the door right now. Who needs this more?
0: All right, uh, let's figure out the remaining games. Who needs it more? Are you ready to help me? By the way, I, dig- I gained some ground last week, largely because I just picked a bunch of favorites. <laughs> uh, but I am only seven games behind Sunmin Kimes, but I have more key wins than her, so I'm only five points behind her. So I narrowed the gap a little bit. So
1: we're in the home. I'm stretch. glad that you've. I'm glad that you've gamed the system in fr- in, fr- in favor of you in a contest against your mom, the same way you've tried to for years in the team draft with May
0: okay in what not even gonna entertain <laughs> sorry for making the team graph fair okay in one of the more disgusting games of the oh. week pittsburgh new england i uh, is it it's trubisky and zappy right is where is the state of play at the moment unless i missed something it,
1: it, it is i mean as much as i don't think the patriots ever like really name a starter yeah i think it's trubisky zappy
0: i guess We're i'll go with trubisky <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They're favored by six. Wow. It's in Pittsburgh. God, if they win, though, they're eight and five. Ah!
1: (laughs) That's what I I mean. I feel Ah! like the Steelers are just out here to make our lives as difficult as possible because there's no explanation for their success other than just being able to say Mike Tomlin and point at this and walk away. And TJ Watt,
0: who needs this more? Uh, We need this pats to knock them out i don't think they shout were. out
1: to the patriots defense though i mean they were they would be my pick for god's strongest soldiers currently three straight games holding the opposing team to 10 or fewer points and you can't get a win they're in hell
0: they can join um garrett wilson who i nominated for walter payton man here <laughs> uh, okay the uh panthers are at the saints the saints are favored by five i haven't seen clearly doing great prep for these games uh Derek carr update i don't think it matters who is playing quarterback in fact arguably i think uh, james winston they might be more likely to win uh i will take the saints i don't i can't foresee myself picking a panther panthers and anything
1: no them. until until further notice you would have to be a real sicko to be picking the panthers i can't imagine their family and friends still pick that team
0: so the uh Rams, the Ravens are favored by seven at home. I actually would take the Rams to cover, but I'm taking the, the Ravens to win. I think that's a little bit high. Yep. Uh, this is an interesting one. The Colts are favored by one at Cincinnati. I think uh, this is going to be the Jake Browning heat check. Was it just an all-time one-off? Or I, I don't think it was. I don't think he'll be as good as he was, but I do think he proved... That he is a competent quarterback. However, sneaky underrated Colts defense, good four man rush. I'll probably still take the Colts in this one just because I think uh, Shane Steichen is a really good coach. And oh God, the eight and five Indianapolis Colts.
1: I was gonna say the Colts are the Colts are gonna be a playoff team. Start to mentally prepare for it. Have the conversation with your children. I agree with you this week. I, I think we're in for a regression game. Like I, I just I don't see back to back historically great performances from Washington legend Jake Browning.
0: I think it's the thing is the what Cincinnati did on offense. They're probably gonna take the exact same approach. So the Colts will be you know pretty well prepared for it. Um, okay, but I think I think the line is correct. Like it's it's close. Uh, the Jags, this is tricky because we don't know who's playing quarterback for the Jags. I mm-hmm. doubt it's going to be Lawrence though. And the Browns are favored by three. I think that's correct because if it is CJ Beathard, I will take the Browns defense to win this game for Cleveland at Cleveland.
1: Yeah. Really, uh, kind of a stunning clunker from the Jags defense last week. It was so weird watching them get run on as much as they did. And
0: yeah, no, Dominique. And I talked about that. I was really stunned by how bad they were in run defense the second the linebackers played really bad which has been such an improvement for them so i do think they could bounce back against flacco but again i just beathered against this
1: defense i don't love it the bar is on the floor but can i say flacco had a few nice throws mixed in there i was pleasantly surprised for a guy that old coming off the couch
0: joe flacco is an nfl quarterback that's what you saw and he's got a great arm uh, I did like he scored a touchdown. And he didn't look happy at all. And I loved it. <laughs> injected it into my veins. Um, OK, there was a, the kicker missed the extra point, which was quite uh, meaningful. And they cut to Joe Flacco and it looked like he was making fun of the kicker. I, I don't think he was when I saw the video again, because he looked it looked like he was pantomiming wide right. And I so wished he was because that would be so funny. But uh, I don't. I don't think it's what it, he's doing.
1: It's like when, um, it's like when, um, Sean Payton got back into coaching, and then that did the one interview where he slandered Nate Hackett and was very clearly still in like off-season media talking head mode and hadn't <laughs> made the switch back yet. That's where Joe Flacco is right now. He was just at home dumping all over guys on his couch.
0: That's amazing. Every, yeah, yeah. He, he he's like, I just would love like a Bulwark style run from Flacco. You know, just come back and just be honest about everything and say what you think. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to like, and he kind of already was that guy. Like he was always like a little bit too honest when Lamar Jackson came. He was like, yeah, I'm not going to help him. I mean, he didn't yeah. say exactly
1: that. But... <laughs> <laughs> my, my, we will always have the shots of him from training camp on those trick plays where Lamar was in. Just looking at open Lamar and blatantly going somewhere else with the ball. <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> i just uh he just doesn't have quarterback speak baked into his bo- brain like it's very funny because we're so used to quarterbacks saying nothing and he or or speaking in like cl- cliches and he's just like nah, i'm not gonna do that i, I just yeah. don't care i love him. Uh, i loved also sorry i promised that i'll get off of joe flacco the fox illustration for him they didn't even try to make him look happy no Do you see he was just like
1: Again, everyone, if everyone's committed to the bit, then we're all in a good place.
0: Okay. The uh Lions are going to Chicago. They're favored by three. That feels right. Although the Lions defense, man, play better.
1: Getting getting a little bit scary now. Like we kind of have to, I think, re remember that like if the Lions make the postseason this year and are competitive, that's technically a win. Even though for a while I think we got a little far out ahead of our skis yeah. talking about like, are they the best team in the NFC?
0: Lost to limb, McNeil. Well, he's IR'd. He'll come back, but that's yeah. a big loss. He was playing fantastic football for them. Huge so part of that defensive line. Uh, the Bucks. oh my God, we've got two NFC South games. Go to Atlanta. The Falcons are favored by one and a half. Sure. I just, yeah, they're six and six. This is a big game <laughs> for the division. Right now, nerf gun to your head. Falcons, Falcons winning the division. I should give the yeah, records. The Ducks are five and seven. The Falcons are six and six. The Panthers are one 11. The, uh, Saints are five and seven.
1: So this is, I would probably say, yeah, at this point, at this point, the Falcons, like, like you said, if we get extended Jameis towards the end of the season for the Saints, anything becomes possible because five that South. man is a human wild card.
0: It, right now, the NFC South is like, um, you know, those races they do at the ballpark with the, um, tall mascots
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> where like they the all president start- race at the nats park
0: yeah but yes and then they like kind of trip over each other and and you in um you're like i guess i could pick who's gonna win but i don't know like
1: there are no winners like,
0: this, yeah I, I got it I, I will talk about one of these teams when it happens uh the very fun on the other hand texans travel to new york to play the question mark led new york jets they're favored by three and a half i will take the texans
1: in a in a heartbeat that that defense and seeing will anderson finally get home to the quarterback Mm -hmm. a little bit where they'd done such a good job especially him pressuring the quarterback getting close we know that's a much more indicative stat seeing that happen especially i mean the way he affected the game he had the tip on one of the stingley junior interceptions he was just Mm -hmm. a man possessed
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like what they're doing on defense. It's not nothing complicated, but you see the bones of like what uh, Demica Ryans wants to do. And, and then you got like, I mean, Anderson Jr. and Stingley combined. It, it's funny, like it, because of CJ Stroud, like they had the third overall pick two consecutive years on defense. Obviously the trade, they traded for it, but like they're playing like it, you know, and the Anderson Jr. trade value is sort of, it's going to take a while, I think, to for that to, to to become clear whether or not it was worth it. But when you take that out of the equation, he looks like a third overall pick. So I yeah.
1: was just going to ask if it had done enough to offset the trade value. Since so much of that was the conversation around him, I was I think a little bit more a fan of that pick. Just based on like some of the like cliche football stuff, like you're a new coach, new regime trying to set a foundation. He seems like talking to players on that team. He sounds like a guy that is like cornerstone of the franchise maturity and leadership capabilities in a way that kind of, you know, Dominique talks about soft skills all the time. He does seem like a guy that brings so much of that to the table in a way that, you know, is hard to quantify in a trade value conversation.
0: Well, the funny thing is like when it happened, I heard the argument that, like, well, you can you can think of it as a trade for C.J. Stroud or the quarterback. And I was like, that's not how this works. Yeah. However, the incredible play of C.J. Stroud has made the trade better because it's made them win games. So the pick isn't going to – that they're giving up. Like, we thought that – I thought that uh, yeah. pick would possibly be a top five pick because I thought this is a bad football team. I didn't anticipate them having Andrew Luck 2.0 under center. So – uh, yeah, it's interesting. All right, uh, we've both taken the Niners over the Seahawks. Uh, I'm going to take the Vikings over the Raiders in Vegas. Minnesota's favored by three. This feels like a, Josh Jobs is starting. I feel like he'll play better against the uh, Raiders' defense. Um, although Ada O'Connell's got some stuff to him. I will say that.
1: I was going to say, there's part of me that wants to take the Raiders at home here. I think I might this week, especially mm-hmm. with the points. I could probably take the Raiders at three. If you gave me three and a hook, I'd really be yeah, in. Well. But
0: I need to pick. I haven't picked any dogs again. So, yeah, maybe I will take the Raiders. It's close. Although Aiden O'Connell against that psychotic defense...
1: It is it is a little scary. I will say, like, you're gonna get the total inverse of like the Justin Fields Bears game where he's holding on to the ball for so long. I feel like O'Connell's just gonna turn and burn with that thing based on how quick he right. gets the ball out.
0: Okay. Chiefs spills. We cowardly picked the cowardly. <laughs> we are cowards who pick the Chiefs. Uh, Broncos at Chargers. Chargers are only favored by two and a half at home. I will still take them
1: should i I, i've been later to market on like believing the broncos as a sustainable like product even close to good for a while but they just seem like the total antithesis of the chargers right now and like i i heard you make the comment it's like let russ make snacks but it really has. They've turned everything into like a ground and pound close to the vest fight. So
0: That's what was so frustrating about the Broncos. So I, I put out this video on Mina Kimes' YouTube. Go check it out. Talking about like, oh, how did the Broncos turn the season around? And one of the things was like, okay, Russell Wilson is managing the game. He takes occasional risks, but he's checking it down. But then last week he was like, nope. Nope. I watched that video. <laughs> I am going to prove Mina Kimes wrong. I am going to enter that thing out and... It was a mistake. Like he has to. The offense was working better when he wasn't forced, and he made like a couple of good throws downfield. But like, it was not an efficient performance. He's much better when he checks it down. And I don't know. I mean, the Chargers' defense is so bad; it might not matter. But ugh, maybe I'll take Denver. Denver six and six. Hey. This is this feels like a win and stay alive game.
1: Denver or for Denver, for either for side, both.
0: for both, yeah. Who no, needs it char- more? <laughs>
1: I mean, it feels like every game now for the Chargers, we're just looking up and wondering if it's going to go bad enough for them to fire Brandon Staley. Like, did a six nothing win? A six nothing win against the Patriots felt like a loss to where I was like, would they do it this week? Because that was painful. Defensive masterpiece.
0: Uh I'll go with the Chargers. I don't Probably know certainly. why. Uh, we both picked Dallas, and then there's the Monday night doubleheader. Mm. Uh, these are both Green Bay favored by six and a half against the Giants. I think we'll both take the Packers. Miami favored by 13 and a half against the Tennessee Titans. I think we'll both take the Miami Dolphins. You like how I'm picking some of these for you? I'm saving time. Much
1: appreciated. And that's it.
0: That's it. Those are all my picks this week. I picked a couple of underdogs. You got me to do it. Um, Michael Jr., tell the people where they can find you.
1: Uh yeah, uh Gojo and Golik Monday through Friday eight to ten a.m. Eastern on uh, the DraftKings YouTube channel, uh, Samsung TV Plus, Roku. At Gojo and Golik on Twitter is where you can find us there. Uh, all sorts of fun places. I hang out with my dad every day and I make fun of him for being old and not knowing young things and for a number of weird habits that he has. It's it's good good clean family fun.
0: Golik Jr. Golik Senior. Who needs it more? listen to find out all right uh thank you so much for joining us as always thank you also as always to the folks who work on this show at omaha kirsten Sobiecki, owen saylor anthony Jimenez, Uh and i will be back next week so see you guys on tuesday with dominique